Welcome to Season 2 of Behind the Blazer. I'm your host, Scott Sempier. Before we begin Season 2, let's hear a recap of what our guests said from Season 1. Well, where shall I begin? I wanted it to be the finest choir, boys choir in the world. Mr. Stroud and Mr. Smith, they are amazing at their job. What I like to do, the way I like to think about it, is that I try to be the teacher that I wish I'd had early on. The choir has done so much for my kids. Anything I can do to give back, I will. Being in the Philadelphia Boys Choir is something that you can't duplicate in any other thing that a boy would get involved in. I love this organization with all of my heart, and I, I'll, I'll never forget any of these experiences. I'll remember it for the rest of my life. When you can do something like that, why wouldn't you invest your everything into it? This season, we are highlighting musical partners of the Philadelphia Boys Choir and Chorale. We are bringing you stories from our collaborators who have achieved musical success and sustained excellence in the Philadelphia region. In this episode, we highlight the Philadelphia Girls Choir. I had the chance to sit down in person, that's right, face-to-face, with Philadelphia Girls Choir director Nathan Wadley. He discussed with me his personal musical history, how the Philadelphia Girls Choir was formed, and the connection the Philadelphia Girls Choir has with the Philadelphia Boys Choir and Chorale. Enjoy. Behind the Blazers, the official podcast of the Philadelphia Boys Choir and Chorale. We've been singing in Philadelphia and all around the globe for over 50 years. As America's ambassadors of song, we have had many fantastic experiences, traveling to many different countries and meeting amazingly talented and wonderful people. The great leadership and high standards of the choir have allowed us to have these opportunities. This podcast, Behind the Blazer, is designed to introduce you to the Philadelphia Boys Choir culture. Season 2, in particular, highlights some of the many partners we have had in the Philadelphia region who have joined us to help create even more excellent music. Today, for the first episode of Season 2 of Behind the Blazer, I'm here with Nathan Wadley, Music Director for the Philadelphia Girls Choir. Thank you for being with us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Good day to talk about choirs. Absolutely. Now, before we dig into the Philadelphia Girls Choir and its history, I want to get to know the man behind the choir itself. So please tell us about what you were like as a child. As a child? Well, I grew up in rural Missouri, just outside of Jefferson City, and had kind of a typical suburban childhood, I guess, up until fifth grade. And in fifth grade, uh, the American Boy Choir School gave a performance in my town. They were on tour, and it was the first time I was really exposed to a choir, to a professional choir, a boys' choir. So after that concert experience, I was kind of blown away, and there was a call for auditions. Mm -hmm. So I went and auditioned, and my mother has admitted since then that she really just wanted somebody to give a professional opinion about whether her son had any talent and whether she should invest (laughs) in voice lessons. And... I think two weeks later, she got a call and they said, we want your son to consider coming to our school, which was a boarding school. Oh, wow. So for a Midwestern family, that was quite a shock. So up to that moment, I had a very normal childhood. And then things escalated from there and I was really interested. And so my father and I visited the school and I got a chance to spend a trial day there going to classes and rehearsals and living. It was an overnight. So... We had that experience, and I fell in love with not only singing, but being in an environment surrounded by other boys who loved to make music the way that I did. In the Midwest, That you know, it was very sports-centric where I mm-hmm. grew up. Mm-hmm. And so over the summer, my family and I had a lot of conversations and ultimately decided to give that a try. So in sixth grade, I moved away from home to Princeton, New Jersey, and began living at my school and studying wow. music full-time. Wow. So... <laughs> Yeah, it was it was quite a, a change to my world, but something that shaped my life from that moment forward. So for 6th, 7th, and 8th grade, I would live away from home, and we would do all of our academics in the morning up until lunchtime, and the afternoon was filled with rehearsals and music theory classes. And with, a, with the American Boy Choir, I got to tour the country 
10, 12 weeks out of the school year. Oh, wow. I uh, got to travel internationally for the first time when I was in sixth grade, and we did international tours every summer that I was there. Mm -hmm. I got to appear on television commercials, in the sound of television commercials, the recordings on professional albums. And so, yeah, it was that, that was a very unusual childhood experience. Yeah, for, it sure is, but it was, it was yours. And that's, but it was mine. Yeah. And that experience of singing in a choir, there, there's just nothing like it. And so after eighth grade, I graduated. I moved back to the Midwest and public high school. And that mm -hmm. was quite a shocking change <laughs> from a small all-boys school to a, to a co-educational high school. It was huge. And then I finished high school. And I should say, while I was in high school, I sang in two different choirs. I would do two or three musical theater performances a year, both with my school and community theater. Okay. I really was just motivated to perform and to sing and to develop that as best I could. And so high school was filled with a lot of music still. It wasn't the same kind of music that I had come from, but it was still rewarding and fulfilling. And it was a very vibrant arts scene that I got to be a part of. College, I went to Missouri State University in Springfield, Missouri, which had a phenomenal choral program. So Dr. Webb that I studied with there, mm -hmm. he shaped a lot of my current musical tastes and styles and the way I approach my choirs now. So I had a great experience there, and I actually went on to grad school there as well. So both my degrees are under that program. And then I relocated to this area, to the, mm -hmm. the East Coast, first to work at the American Boy Choir School, where I had gone to school as a kid. Right. And then following that, other schools in the area and, of course, the Philadelphia Girls Choir. Excellent. That's quite the history you just described. It makes me wonder about how you became enculturated into New Jersey and the whole choir there with 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. And then when you came back, which one was a bigger culture shock for you? Oh, definitely the first time. Okay. The first time I came here. The school, being a boarding school, had students from all over the country and international students. And it was really the first time I had lived with people who didn't grow up in my little bubble in the Midwest. Okay. And where I grew up is a, a wonderful, friendly, safe place. Mm -hmm. But to be exposed to people from the Deep South in the U.S. and from the West Coast and from other parts of the Midwest and obviously largely from the East Coast where I hadn't ever held a bagel until I was in the sixth grade. Like, <laughs> like there are just experiences that seem really mundane, but yeah. for a kid that grew up just in one area to, to experience life in a different part of the country and with people who are coming from different parts of the country, and we were all discovering about each other's cultures. It was, it was just eye-opening yeah. to know that there are so many kids at the same age that love to sing that just have had so many different experiences. Right. So it was it was wonderful. It was enlivening and enriching. And I still have very close relationships with a lot of those boys that we lived together. As men, we're still very much in touch with each other. Well, that's great. So, that's yeah, great. It's quite a community. <laughs> I'm thinking about the the bagel comment. Is there something <laughs> from Missouri that, you know, Philadelphia area people might not know about like a food that was Ooh. um well, I mean, you know, a lot of stuff is fried. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so like, you know, country fried steak and fried chicken. I would say that the thing that surprises people is white gravy. Oh. Like we have a milk gravy, a white gravy, and brown gravy is kind of what you put on your potatoes here. But Okay. And it's what you see on biscuits and gravy. So that okay. seems like yeah. a foreign food to anybody that's not really from the Midwest or the South. But, uh, <laughs> but white gravy is where it's at. For sure. <laughs> All right. Well, that's that's great that you can bring your culture here. And that's thanks right. for sharing that with us, too. Through podcast magic, we can travel back in time now and hear what Nathan Wadley sounded like in this solo with the American Boy Choir. Enjoy.
When Nathan Wadley's mother signed him up for the American Boy Choir, I wonder if she knew just how well he would sing. And now, back to the interview with the director of the Philadelphia Girls Choir, Nathan Wadley. You talked all about, you know, your childhood. You talked about how you went to the American Boy Choir and then you became a part of the staff. Mm-hmm. Can you please tell us also what that was like going from, okay, well, I graduated from here a few years ago. Now they're hiring me. How was that transition for you? My position when I first started working there was my job title was proctor. And a proctor was essentially someone that acted behind the scenes for the welfare of the boys, of the singers, and also kind of an assistant to the other staff, to the music director, to the academic teachers. Mm -hmm. So kind of a house parent when we're at home, and then the proctor would travel with the kids and become the default house parent on the road. So taking care of kids who were feeling ill or maybe got a cut or something like that, as well as overseeing dressing rooms and setup of the stage for concerts. So it was kind of a jack-of-all-trades, multi-purpose job. Sure. Having been a student, I knew what the experience was like from the student side, and I think that helped me to prepare for what was coming as a proctor, because I knew what the proctor had to do on the opposite side of that. Right. So I think it was beneficial being a student over time as I worked at the school. Ultimately, I stepped into the role as the training choir director there. I was a house parent. Mm -hmm. I worked in the admissions office for a couple of years. I held several different positions at the school. So I think my knowledge as an alumnus really helped me to kind of fill out those roles and to know what was what was needed in each of those places. Right. Yeah. So obviously you're not part of the American Boy Choir anymore. How did you know when it was time to move on and what were you moving toward at that point? So I left the school at a time of a lot of transition and ultimately the school would go through several years of challenges and doesn't actually exist anymore, unfortunately. But when I left the Boy Choir School, I actually took a position at Germantown Academy where I was teaching private voice lessons and also started working as one of the conductors of the Pennsylvania Girl Choir, which is the first time I had worked with a choir that was all girls and mm-hmm. not either all boys or mixed boys and girls. Right. So that was really my introduction into the world of girls' choirs. It brought me more towards Philadelphia, which mm-hmm. I kind of wanted to be more towards a city. And so I don't know if I can answer what what made me know it was the right time to leave, but I certainly had opportunities that I was stepping into to, to grow beyond this, this small community that I knew. It was, right. it was time to go somewhere new and yeah. expand my knowledge a little bit. It takes a lot of courage to do that sometimes. Sure, to step forward it does. Make yeah. that move. What became that driving force for you to continue with girls and, and leading girls' choirs? I was at the Pennsylvania Girl Choir for two years, and it was a great experience and a wonderful organization. And actually, through a friend of a friend, I was made aware that the executive director here with the Philadelphia Boys Choir was looking to start a girls' choir. So oh, I was wow. put in touch with Ann Hagen, who was the executive director at the time. We went and had lunch and talked about you know, what our vision would be and how that would form and what all of that would, would look like, like my vision for, for how that could be created and her vision of what she wanted. That was a December meeting, and in January of the following year, we started with the pilot program just to see what, what kind of interest there was. So, yeah, I think there were less than 30 girls in that, in that pilot program, and we met once a week and put together a, a Mother's Day concert in May of 2012. After that, they said, it's a green light. We're going to move ahead. So That's wonderful. That's and how we started here. You started with 300 girls. Now you're up to almost 200. Is that correct? I, yeah, we started with under 30, 28, oh, yeah. 27, 28. I think I said the wrong number. <laughs> Sorry. <Okay. laughs> yeah, we started with somewhere in the 20s. Mm-hmm. And we opened the next year, I want to say, with like 47 or 48. And okay. it's really... It just kind of snowballed from there. So by our third year, I think we were well over 100, probably 120 or 130 
And I think right now we sit at about 160 to 170. Part of that impacted by COVID and sure. being all virtual last year. And right. But yeah, one point pre-pandemic, I think we were right around 200 girls. And so we're hoping to build back to that over the next couple of years. Yeah. Well, so, you yeah. know, it, it's a testimony to the quality of your work and the care that you have for the girls that not only are they staying, but more people are becoming attracted to this program. Yeah, and thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So who were your greatest supporters in the beginning of the Girls' Choir? Greatest supporters? There were a lot. And how did they support you, if you don't right. mind me? Ob- obviously my family. Mm-hmm. You know, they support everything. I have a, a wonderful support system in my, my family and friends. But I would say when when I stepped in here, I would say this organization was very supportive. They were already eager to start a girls' choir and to have an offering for girls that ultimately would be equal to what they were already offering for boys for, you know, half a century. Right. Because the girls' choir started not much before the 50-year anniversary of the boys' choir. And right. so we got to actually be, we, we were kind of watching that from, from backstage, I guess, to use a, a performance analogy. But there's this huge, wonderful tradition in Philly for the boys' choir and so they were eager to to begin a, a parallel program for girls. And so uh, board members, the music staff already here, the administrative staff, all were very much behind getting this going and having the having the girls' choir grow and excel at as rapid a pace as possible. I would say that I think within our third year, I was the only one conducting the choirs. I was the only one here. Okay. Within our third year, I realized it was getting too big for me to manage. And so I was put in touch with Laura Harmon, who is now our associate music director. Mm-hmm. And she came and saw us in a concert, a holiday concert, and did a trial rehearsal the following semester at the beginning of the spring semester and was immediately hired because she's just phenomenal, especially with the younger singers. She just has a wonderful rapport with them and she can pull so much musicality out of them. and. Mm-hmm at the same time teach them the musicianship skills needed to excel as they get right. older. Right. So she's been obviously a wonderful, I don't want to say a, a support only, but like an integral part of our program and, and what we're developing. And then within the last few years, we've also been able to onboard our accompanist, Jody Bohr, oh, wow. who is actually one of the founding directors of the Pennsylvania Girl Choir okay. and worked with me there and at Germantown Academy and is way more than an accompanist, even though that's her title with us, right. is a brilliant music educator in her own right. So the three of us collectively have created this team that I think just really solidifies the experience for our singers, but also brings in the support of all of our contacts and all of our professional networks. And we're able to lean on each other right. for, for strengthening areas where we may feel particularly less informed or not as strong and someone else in our team is able to kind of pull that up so yeah it definitely sounds like a team concept for sure yeah it really is and it's it's working beautifully i couldn't be happier that's wonderful well phillygirlschoir.org says that the choir is designed to instill confidence and responsibility through musical achievement so how do you achieve these goals I think, first of all, I'll say that that statement is on our website because it's part of our mission, especially working with girls, to empower them and to build a community where they feel strengthened by being around other girls like themselves. I have found, specifically with the Girls' Choir, that with a stronger community comes better and stronger music. The approach of building a community first is really at the core of fulfilling that statement of of empowering the girls. Where you would think the music is really the focus. If the music were the focus and not the community, they wouldn't feel that unity that they need to excel, to be their best selves. Hmm. And for some organizations that works. The music builds the community. I think with this particular group of girls, the community builds the music. And so connecting them and building those friendships and those lasting those lasting friendships that they'll take into college and into their mm-hmm. adult lives, that's what really makes them want to work hard to, to blend their voices and to support each other and to make sure you can hear this harmony because they're depending on each other because they have yeah. this cohesion 
and this connection that's unique. Right. So. And it reminds me of what you said with your experience in the American Boy Choir. Absolutely. You lived with these guys and you toured with these guys and you did everything and you had this community to work together and be a great team. Absolutely. And, you know, the result of that then is as adults, we go on into our lives and we go different places, but we stay connected with those people that were the most important to us. And so hopefully that's what will happen with, with our girls as well, is that they will leave here with all of the memories, but also they'll stay in touch with all of those classmates. And 10 years down the road, they'll be bridesmaids in each other's weddings, or right. they'll be yeah. supporting each other through difficult times in life. Like that's, that's really the end result. The, the goal is to create a community built around the idea of making something beautiful and making mm -hmm. art together. But really, it's those relationships that are the most priceless part of what we do. Yeah, and I can tell you from people I've talked to, they do definitely value the experience. I just went to the bank today and I talked to someone about the podcast. I'm going to sit down with, you know, Philadelphia Girls Choir Director Nathan Wadley. And, and this woman says, my daughter graduated from the Philadelphia Girls Choir. She's now <laughs> part of like a college group and she loves it. And she was talking on and on. And I'm like, I got to go. But <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. That's so, wonderful. so it was really great to, you know, make that connection just this morning. Somebody I had no idea who yeah. she was and, and she's singing your praises basically. And the girls choir. For oh, sure. That's warming. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's Absolutely. really great. Yeah. There's a method to teaching choirs that you develop for many different organizations and I'm sure I'm going to mispronounce it just because of the accent on the A here but Kotali is that how you pronounce it? It's a Hungarian word so uh, oh yeah. excellent so the it's Kodai okay and uh, Zoltan Kodai is a music educator and um, music researcher from from Hungary so he developed a method for music education and there are certification programs for it. It's one of four or five recognized methodologies for teaching music. And something that Laura Harmon, Jody Bohr, and I all are educated in. So it actually okay. makes a cohesive experience for our kids. Great. So this experience is recognizable by its tools, which are the use of the do re mi syllables, what we call solfege, mm -hmm. and also the hand signs that accompany those. Okay. And so having our singers learn to hear intervallic relationships using those syllables. If you don't know what I'm talking about, The Sound of Music has a song about it. Yes. But uh, <laughs> everybody knows the song. Absolutely. So basically those syllables are giving, I want to say like an instrumentalist has fingerings that they learn mm -hmm. for their instrument. A vocalist doesn't really have that. We don't have a tactile way of learning intervallic relationships or placement of notes. Okay. And so the do re, do, re, mi syllables give those fingerings, for lack of a better word, give a vocabulary, an alphabet to be able to sing melodies or scales or any kinds of exercises that develop the ear and develop the musicianship. The hand signs go along with that to give a kinetic, some kind of physical connection to those okay. notes. Okay. Underlying the philosophy, the part people don't really see is how how music is prepared for the kids to learn. So the method of introducing something, repeating what they've learned, performing what they've finally perfected, there's a, a specific process and order in which things are prepared and... What's the word I'm looking for? Present. Present! Thank you. It's a P. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, it's the three Ps. It's preparation, presentation, performance. Yeah. So there is a methodology based around how the music is presented to the kids mm -hmm. and, and how the teacher prepares them for taking in that information and repeating it with accuracy. And so that combined with the tools and that structure actually enables kids to learn to read music and to process music and think musically in a more logical, organized fashion. Awesome, awesome. When I talked to Michael Ashby, he often emphasized, how does that feel? And hearing what you're saying, it kind of gives a sense, a more of a sense of feeling to the actual music as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think fairly recently people have focused, educators have focused on the fact that we have people who are visual learners and people who are aural learners mm -hmm. and people who are kinetic learners and people who are a blend of those. And so the tools of the Kodai method actually address every one of those before we were analyzing different learning styles 
something in Kodai's methodology addressed each one of those. And so even there was, there was a time, I want to say in the 1960s, but mm -hmm. I may be wrong, when Hungary implemented the Kodai system in all of their public schools as just this is how we're going to teach music. And they had a music literacy rate in like 75% of their kids were able to read and write music. Wow. Like actually function in a written music world and as if it were another language. Yeah. And so it's proven right. that it works. And these kids all come from such different backgrounds. Some of them have very active music programs in their schools. Some of them are doing Kodai methodology or they're doing ORF methodology, which is based around instrumental playing. Other kids are coming from schools with almost no musical programming. Right. And so we're taking kids from all different places, and this is a way of evening that knowledge base, giving them all the same tools in the same language, so that when they're here, mm -hmm. we can all communicate in the same way. From the youngest kids at six or seven years old who are just getting their feet wet, mm -hmm. all the way up to our 17 and 8-year-old, 18-year-old high school kids who've been doing this for you know seven, eight, nine years right. and are really good at it and really well-versed in it. Just as Nathan Wadley described how the Kodai method is crucial for giving musicians a sense of feeling, he also discussed the importance of unity in the Philadelphia Girls Choir culture. You can hear both. You can feel both as you listen to this acapella clip from PGC as we sang Winter Stars. We're so glad to share our music with you. We now return to our interview with Philadelphia Girls Choir Director Nathan Wadley. Taking from there, you have girls as young as seven up to 18. You have four different groups. Correct, yeah. Uh, and it's all based on age, is that correct as well? It's a combination. It's loosely based on age, okay, but also based on maturity level, whether they can handle the expectations of a rehearsal at a certain, certain tier. And musical ability. We look for musical growth as they move through our program. So the, each choir, they could be in any one of those groups for three or four years. And so okay. we want to make sure that they're learning those skills and developing so that when they're moving up to the next group, they are ready to take on the extra work to sing the more complex music. They mm -hmm. develop their ear to be able to deal with some more dissonance and some harmonies that maybe aren't as clear-cut is what they knew when they were younger. Right. Because by the time they get to the high school group, we're singing things that are really at a collegiate level. Mm -hmm. And so they they have to have proven that they can handle that and that they can take on that responsibility. That leads right into the next question as well. What singing opportunities and venues have you had the Philadelphia Girls Choir sing at? And and how have you been able to, to manage the different areas with the, with the choir? So... Within, I'll start within kind of the Philadelphia region because I would mm -hmm. say there are two there are two answers to that. There's sure. the, the during the school year when we're at our home base, and mm -hmm. then there's touring, which will be a separate topic. Right. I suppose. Yeah, we can, we can talk about touring right. a little bit. Sure. So, um, but I'll start with when we're at home base. I would say the holidays are really our busy season, as they mm -hmm. are with most choirs around our country, and so the girls have performed at. The major venues in Philadelphia, we've performed at the Academy of Music, mm -hmm. we've performed at the Kimmel Center several times, both with the boys' choir and separately on our okay. own. The boys' choir has a tradition of doing the Nutcracker with the Pennsylvania Ballet mm -hmm. when we're able to do that, which we're not right now. The, the girls' choir has stepped into performances where the boys have had conflicts in their performance schedule. Sure. 
So those are kind of, I guess, the highlights. On mm -hmm. top of that, we do our own concerts. We do holiday concerts and a spring concert. Okay. Aside from that, we've just kind of done what, what I think is standard for choirs. There are one-off events where someone's holding some kind of gala or some mm -hmm. gathering for their corporation and they want to have some kind of entertainment, so they'll bring in our choir. So we've had several of those engagements at a variety of places around the city. You know, the convention center we've been to a couple of times for, for those kinds of engagements and other, you know, hotel ballrooms and wherever wherever we get called to sing. Sure. We've done church services in the area. We it's been several years. We were on we've been on TV a couple of times, just on local television, local mm -hmm. news stations. We did the tree lighting a few years back at the art museum. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we've kind of we've kind of done what you would expect uh, a choir to do as far as opportunities in this area. We partnered with, this has also been several years ago, partnered with the Princeton Girl Choir, and we did a benefit oh, wow. in Trenton, New Jersey, with okay. one of their ensembles. I traveled there, and they hosted us. That was a delightful experience. And we're always trying to grow that. We're always right. trying to expand. Mm -hmm. uh, I think one of the great things about the Philly Boys Choir is that they have all of these traditions of performing at the Nutcracker and performing with the Pops and performing mm -hmm. with the Phillies at opening day. They mm -hmm. have these wonderful benchmarks. Sure. And I think we've just started to create a couple of those. Right. But that's something that happens with time. Right. You and have so, to build up right. to that. So I'm sure. a patient man. <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting for those opportunities to continue to present themselves. But I think we've got a good start. When they have their performances, when you have a performance, is there a moment or a time when you said, yeah, this is Philadelphia Girls Choir at its best, or this is that prototypical, this is the standard that I always want to hit. Is there, has there been a moment for you like that, or is there a story that goes with that for you? There have been several moments, I would say, where, where you hold that last note and you cut it off and, and you, just, you just know, you just have that feeling. Yeah. I would say one of those moments was, and this wasn't necessarily because of the performance, it was because of where we were. We performed at the Constitution Center, and I'll, I'm going to have to, I'm going to struggle to remember the name of the organization, but it was a local organization that works for and fights for people who have been wrongly incarcerated and oh, fights okay. to get them Justice. released from prison right. and use modern forensic evidence to clear their name and to, to get them released from prison. And I can't remember the name of the organization, I'm sorry. But we were asked to sing at a ceremony honoring people that had been released, that oh, had wow. successfully been removed from prison. One of them, their spouse was there and she said, there's this song that I would listen to and it's what got me through waiting for this day for him oh, to, come, wow. to come home. And so I was able to write an arrangement, a fairly simple arrangement of this song and present mm -hmm. it. And just her response at the end of that performance was so moving. Yeah. Just hearing this song being sung by our singers at this celebration of his freedom, it was just Oh, wow. Yeah, like, it's hard not to get choked up. <laughs> I have chills it, right? right now, and I wasn't even there. <laughs> it, was just, it was just this beautiful moment, and it's like, this is why we do what we do. We don't really do it. I mean, we like the sound, and we like to sit in a concert and be overwhelmed by that, but right. it's those moments where music really has power. And to share that moment with our girls, with our kids, mm -hmm. like, they, they would have never experienced anything like that, and that's, that's life-changing. Right. And you're, they're learning about... They were learning about complex topics through this really beautiful art form. Yeah. And it's bringing things in the world to them in a way that they will process it differently and they will internalize it. So mm -hmm. forever changing. Nathan later revealed that the organization is called Pennsylvania Innocence Project. The Philadelphia Girls Choir performed for them on May 8, 2013, just over a year after being established as a choir. Since 2009, Pennsylvania Innocence Project has focused on exoneration, support, education, and legislation. At the time of this recording, Pennsylvania Innocence Project has helped bring justice to 20 wrongfully imprisoned citizens while fighting for criminal justice reforms. It's true. 
The power of music has enabled young singers to be first-hand witnesses to life-changing moments and have their lives impacted and changed as well. And now, we will conclude the Behind the Blazer interview with Philadelphia Girls Choir director Nathan Wadley. As you bring things in the world to the girls in the, in the choir, you also bring them to the world in touring. Of course. So, yeah. tell us about touring with the Philadelphia Girls Choir. Sure. I would say the biggest drive for taking our girls on tour is just to give them the opportunity to be somewhere where people aren't like us, where people are different, where people view the world differently, where people appreciate music differently. Um, I think our American audiences are great, mm -hmm. but all of our tours up to this point have been to European destinations, mm -hmm. and there is just such a tradition for choral music in Europe and such an appreciation for it that you can walk through a European city in the summer and see posters for 10 or 12 concerts all happening at different times. Oh, wow. And it's just, they're everywhere. Choirs mm -hmm. and small instrumental ensembles. Like, there's just, there's just a very different approach to music and a very different feeling as an audience member in a concert in a European church or in a European concert hall mm -hmm. than there is in America. And so I think when we take the girls on tour, we're giving them a truly appreciative audience. And I think the audiences also get hit by a lot of concerts, a lot of, a lot of choirs that tour okay. of varying quality. Sure. And so when we're able to walk into a church in Prague and give an afternoon concert that's free and people can just walk in and you know, when there are 30 people in the audience, when we start singing, and there are 80 people in the audience by the time we're finished, because yeah. people walk by and hear us and wonder, they just kind of wander in. You know, that kind of energy, the girls feel that. They feel the appreciation for their art form. They feel the appreciation for the work that they put in for nine or 10 months to prepare that, that program mm -hmm. and to prepare themselves to be, become an ensemble, to become a musical community. And then those audiences just give them that back, and they know they know that it was worth all the work they put in, and, and that their passion means something to somebody. Not that we couldn't get that in America, right. but I I just think I don't know. I just think the appreciation is is very different, and I think the the music education there. I think from childhood, Europeans are just taught that music is this wonderful thing, mm -hmm. in in a broader sense than in our country. So I, that's part, that's my personal reason. I also sure. just like traveling with them. Like yeah. They, they love it. They love walking around new cities. They love shopping in, in places where they've never been. Right. They love trying, well, most of them love trying new food. Um, so <laughs> yeah. Not so much. Sure. But just to get outside of our bubble, just to get outside of our world and see something that's truly different, right? Mm -hmm. It's not like going to New York. Like, mm -hmm. It's different in New York, but it's right. still... It's still American. It still has an American feel to it. Right. And the schedule of the day, the timing of when you eat, the the pace of life, it's, everything is just different in another country. Not right. just in Europe, in another country in general. So to give them a taste of that and mm -hmm. to expose them to that and different language, and there's nothing like it. And, you know, my first trip out of the country was in sixth grade yeah. with a choir. <laughs> we went to France. That's one yeah. of my favorite countries. That's yeah. the language I studied when I went into high school. Oh, wow. So, like, that had a huge impact on me in sixth grade sure. traveling to France. Yeah. In seventh and eighth grade, I got to go to different parts of Asia. Also, very different culture. Right. Very appreciative of choral music. So, that's somewhere I would love to take our kids. Mm -hmm. I would love for us to go to Asia and, and perform for those audiences as well, which really do appreciate choral music. There's just, I don't know, there's nothing like stepping outside of your world into someone else's and sharing something beautiful with them and maybe taking something beautiful from them as well. Right, yeah. When I interviewed Justin Hopkins, who's an opera singer, and he was in Belgium at the time, mm -hmm. he said that the audiences in Belgium are very different from America because, for one thing, they don't automatically give a standing ovation, but they have a deep, deep connection. And I think that what you're saying really corresponds with that. And it sounds like you're verifying it even more and that these girls have this great experience to, to get to know other cultures and other audiences and how For they're sure. different. Yeah, that's absolutely true. 
So yeah, I would back that statement 100%. And I would say also one element I've left out is that we really like whenever possible, and it's I think it's been possible on every tour, we like to make sure they have at least one interaction with a children's choir there. Oh wow. Whether it's a girls choir or a boys choir or a mixed children's chorus, we like for them to do some kind of having a meal with them and giving a joint performance. We want them to be able to hear the music that's being made by children their age mm -hmm. who speak another language and live right. in a different culture. And, you know, we can bring our culture to theirs and they can bring their culture to ours. But, you know, s sitting and having a meal together, then they really get to know that culture and they really get to know what's it like at your school. Yeah. This is what it's like at my school. Like they get to have those kind of interactions. And I know some of our girls are still in touch with kids across the pond like That's in great. Ireland and yeah. and in other parts of Europe from previous tours that they've made friends that just have, have continued. That's wonderful. So, yeah. And when you're when you're going to a non-English speaking country, do you have the girls sing in that native language as well? We we do try to incorporate music from the area where we're going, not just for the linguistic part, which is important to un, to be able to hear and speak some of those sounds that you're going to be surrounded by, but also so that we can talk to them about the culture they're stepping into. Our last tour was supposed to go to the Baltics and has been postponed a couple of times because of COVID. Right. But yeah, having specific songs in those languages and from those cultures may be based on a folk song from that area. And then we can talk to them about that, that folk history and we can talk to them about what the words are about and why. And if mm -hmm. possible, talk to the composer or talk to somebody who knows this the original folk song and why it's important to them culturally whatever we can do to help our girls prepare for the culture they're about to step into we do and music is a really powerful tool for right. experiencing another culture even if you're not there yet right not physically there yet you're really stepping into the artistry from someone who grew up there so so there's there's a way to connect yourself before you arrive that's awesome yeah well, you mentioned the postponements of the tours, and you've obviously mentioned that the numbers are a little down since COVID, and that's the next topic I'd like to talk about. How has this pandemic affected the Philadelphia Girls Choir? I would say we've been incredibly fortunate, and I think it goes back to that community that I spoke of earlier. Obviously, like other arts organizations and other singing organizations, we weren't able to be in person for a year and a half. Mm -hmm. And for a choir, that's devastating. Not, not the fact that we couldn't sing together, but the fact that when we sang, we couldn't hear each other. Because yeah. listening is really at the core of choral music. It's not really what comes out of you. It's what you take in and how you process that and make your voice a part of that larger sound. Okay. So for a choir not to be able to hear yeah. is devastating. Yeah. And for us to be rehearsing online through Zoom, where the, the, the visual part of that works great, the audio part is behind. Right. It's just the, the power that it takes to process audio mm -hmm. um, over the internet. It just isn't, it, we're not able to keep up with that without any kind of latency. So it was hard, but I would say, I mean, we, we dove headfirst into the virtual choir mm -hmm. model, as so many did. Right. And I would say the saving grace is that they retained everything they had learned. And wow. so while we were forced to rehearse in these little isolated bubbles, they still retained a lot of what they knew about their posture and their breathing and their vowel formation and their consonants. And if we would give them an instruction, they would still respond to it even though we weren't able to hear whether they could do it or not. Okay. Over time, that became harder, but, yeah. but at the core, they were still making music in the style that they had been taught. And that's what allowed us to continue making high-quality virtual recordings. It was really their skill that mm -hmm. kept us together and their commitment to staying with us, even though we weren't in person. Right. So, so I think our survival and really our excellence through, because they excelled at so many things through that difficult time and are mm -hmm. still excelling. Even though we're back in person, we're mm -hmm. still masked and distanced, and it's right. not as it once was. Sure. But I think their personalities and the the positivity and the energy and the desire to grow as musicians and the desire to maintain that community i think that from our singers and their families is really what held us together through this time well, that's awesome 
That's awesome. I was thinking that perhaps, you know, just because of the pandemic, you'd be struggling a lot more than what you represented. So I'm very excited <laughs> and encouraged to hear that. That's I, I will admit that was one of my fears is yeah. that, that we were going to have to start rebuilding from scratch in mm-hmm. a lot of ways and hearing them come back for their first in-person rehearsal, those fears were alleviated. Like we are rebuilding certain things and we are tightening things up to where they once were, but we're not starting over. We, we certainly have a core of singers who are ready to go and are just right where they were when That's we great. had to shut down. So That's great. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. The Philadelphia Boys Choir and the Philadelphia Girls Choir had a recent announcement in that it's now not the PBCC and the PGC, but the PBGC. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had to practice that a little bit. Right. <laughs> um, can you tell us more about, about that connection so that maybe I can understand it a little bit better. What changes with the two organizations becoming one and what does that mean? I think to start it's important to just acknowledge that historically, as I alluded to earlier, the Philadelphia Boys Choir and Chorale is over 50 years old. It's really the, the beginning point and the core of this organization. Okay. And it was the efforts to expand the offerings to a larger community of children and their families that created the Philadelphia Girls Choir and also the Philadelphia Vocal Conservatory, which houses multiple specialist voice teachers and coaches, Mm -hmm. is heavily involved in our summer programming. So from this one very strong core have now come these three programs. And I think while while on the surface it looks like this has been kind of a sudden change, the conversation to this pivot point has been ongoing for several years as the girls' choir has strengthened and continued to grow, as the vocal conservatory has added more vocal faculty and become more integrated into the rehearsal part of the boys' and girls' choir. It's not just a voice studio. They really act as coaches. They pull kids from our rehearsals to do individual coachings with them. And the three organizations are really functioning together in a, in a more collaborative way than when the girls' choir and the vocal conservatory were still being grown. Okay. I think now we've reached a place where all three can have more equal footing, and so this is a public acknowledgement of that and just saying we're ready to put these three things out there at the same billing, and mm-hmm. then there's this umbrella organization, the PBGC, Philadelphia okay. Boys and Girls Choirs that connects them. And they're doing their own separate programming. Okay. Right? So the boys still have their traditional things that they do, and the girls right. still have the things that they do, and the vocal conservatory still has its programming. They they still have their autonomy when it's needed, mm-hmm. but there's an umbrella that connects them all. And it okay. really kind of shows this this unity and this support that one organization has for the for the other. And do you think that that unity is going to be realized in more performances of maybe combining the girls' and boys' choirs for a performance in the future? I know you said that they've you've sung together before, but is there more on the horizon? I would say that that's certainly a possibility. I, I won't say that there is a specific plan for that to happen because right now we're still figuring out how to perform live. Right, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. We're, we, we have the more immediate concerns in front of us, but I would say it certainly paves the way for, for that possibility of more collaborative performances in the future. Excellent. So what is your hope then for the future of the PGC and PBGC? I think for, for the girls' choir specifically, I would love to see more of those year after year of traditional performances continue to to take shape. Mm -hmm. Part of that is just being invited to the right things and part of that is seeking those opportunities out. So that's really one of my goals is to seek out opportunities where we can have recurring traditions that we can begin to build as we approach because we're almost 10 years. We're in our ninth season so next year is going to be our first big milestone. Right. So, So that's one that's probably my biggest goal for the girls choir we have one we have a holiday album that we've produced and i would love to have a few more recordings 
sure. over the next few years so okay. that we have a, a presence on streaming platforms and mm -hmm. CDs and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. COVID has taught us that we really like making music videos, <laughs> and so I think we're we're going full steam ahead on producing a couple of high quality videos that we can have online and really building our online presence. Sure. So that's another a goal that we have set for ourselves. And otherwise just a return to in-person singing, a return to touring, a return to doing the things that we love best. Sure. That's what we're working for. That's great. For the organization as a whole, I think the renaming is really just a first step to kind of as you alluded to, to some more collaborative work down the road to visibility as a larger organization and not just as these three separate things. But I don't know what that'll look like yet. <laughs> we're, we're still baby stepping into that world. Great. A lot of opportunities out there, I'm sure. Absolutely. For sure. So regarding opportunities, I understand that people can hire the choir. Girls can audition. How would people contact the Philadelphia Girls Choir? So the best way to contact us is through the website, pbgcsings.org. And there you can be directed to whatever, whatever you're looking for. If you want to do an audition, then you can be directed towards our audition page. We will accept an initial audition of a video upload so you can do that from oh, wow. your home and then that would be that would follow up with an invitation to come into our building and meet with one of our music directors and do an in-person audition and kind of go from there if you're interested in singing with us we would love to hear your audition if you want to hire the choir again you can contact us through our website and that will come most likely directly to me and okay. we can discuss your needs for the choir what you would like and whether we can provide that service for you, and hopefully we can. So far, even during the virtual world, we were able to provide a lot of virtual performances. And so, yeah, we're eager to get back on a stage. So so please let us know if we can sing for you. We would love that. That's great. Well, thank you so much for your time, Nathan Wadley, the director of the Philadelphia Girls Choir. And I really appreciate that you took this time with me. Thank you. It's my pleasure. This has been great. Thank you. This episode of Behind the Blazer Season 2 features the vocal talents of Juliana Banfi, Mia Castro-Deephouse, Margot Jones, Ava Callahan, and Maeve Meyer from the Philadelphia Girls Choir, and Mark Houck, Christopher Sempier, Jonah Serrata, and Boo Long from the Philadelphia Boys Choir. Thanks to all who have participated in the creation of this episode. Behind the Blazer is the official podcast of the Philadelphia Boys Choir and Corral. Please like, share, subscribe, and give a five-star review. Support our organization, the Philadelphia Boys and Girls Choirs, by donating at pbgcsings.org slash donate. Again, that's pbgcsings.org slash donate. <laughs>